Almost time to record show, record show, record show. Almost time to record show in search of darkness. Part three. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the A's. It's your old pal, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today we take a well-timed journey back to 80s horror movies with writer-director David Weiner, who talks about his new documentary, In Search of Darkness, Part 3. Happy Halloween, ladies! I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, can Brad do it two weeks in a row? Well, buckle up, kids, because here it comes. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by the 80s Cruise. Join Spearsy and me along with the MTV original VJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and Nina Blackwood in March 2023 for a week-long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Navigator of the Seas. Performers will include Devo, Brett Michaels, Kim Wilde, The Church, Howard Jones, Living Color, John Parr, More Stay in the Time, The Smithereens, Vixen, Cutting Crew, Mid-Year, Autograph, Tone Loke, and more. And first-time guests can get... $200, that's right, $200 a cabin credit just by using the promo code STUCK when booking. Just go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. If my mic wasn't on a stand, I would drop it right now. of God. You're doomed if you stay here. This place is cursed. Cursed. It's got a death curse. Who are you? What do you want? God sent me. Get out of here, man. Recognize that movie clip, Brad? Oh, Friday the 13th. It's a classic. Even I've seen that. Yeah, 42 years ago, though. Shut your whore mouth. Oh, well, time flies. The arrow of time, one might say, flies when you have it stuck through your throat. Well played, sir. Well played. The classic death scene of uh, Kevin Bacon, another big moment from the film. Mm. Did you see this? Where did you see this for the first time? Did you see it? You probably didn't see it in the theater. theater. I did not see it in the theater. This was definitely a rental. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say of all the horror movies I've seen in my life... Probably ninety eight percent were rentals. Sure. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of a time I bought a ticket to what you would think of as a traditional horror movie. Although you guys do talk a little bit about Lost Boys, and that would probably be the exception. MTV Vampires. Yeah. Okay. I, I need to see that. <laughs> Lost Boys. I, I did buy a ticket to. Um, if you want to throw Gremlins in as a horror movie, I would have probably seen that in the theaters. And then, and then the one that I remember best is Poltergeist. Hmm. Okay. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, and, you know, how far do you want to draw the? How how big do you want to draw the circle? Do you want to make a case for Ghostbusters as a horror movie? Eh. You know, I meant to ask him that. <laughs> it's a supernatural I, 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 comedy, but I don't think it's a horror movie. Maybe if you're yeah. the cab driver that got thrown out of your cab by the skeleton thingy that's driving <laughs> your cab now, but Poltergeist, I remember because I, I wonder if I had, had to. We snuck in or not? I can't remember, but oh, I, I remember it was forbidden pre-driving days. Okay, and I remember I went with there was two couples, and I sat next to this girl who was completely out of my league, completely right. out of my league. All right, yes, yeah, and what I remember about Poltergeist, aside from the guy pulling his face apart like meatloaf in the mirror, <laughs> scaring the living <laughs> crap out of me, it's getting shut down by the girl that, who's out like, of your league. No, no. The the girl who was sitting next to me was just like crawling all over me because she was so scared. So I basically had t- two hours of snuggle time with someone who <laughs> probably wouldn't give me the time of day the next day. But that's that's fine. Uh, you know, so, that's a tactic I hadn't considered. I could have added that to my "Can I help you with your math homework?" gambits. It might have worked better. Well, I could uh, do math, asked- so that actually wasn't so hard. <laughs> You probably remember David Weiner. He was on the podcast back in March, uh, episode 631, to talk about his sci-fi documentary, In Search of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I love that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. A yeah. Great guy. And at the time, he he said he was working on another installment of his horror movie documentaries, which are called In Search of Darkness. Uh, he has three of them out now, and each of them is about five hours long. So, I mean, he really – I asked him if there's a part four maybe in the works, and I don't. I, th- I think even he knows that. Yeah, fifteen hours is somehow we can keep making podcasts about a decade for you know twenty <laughs> yeah. years, but uh, after fifteen hours of horror movie stuff, the well is running dry. When I started doing the research before I talked to him, and I was doing reading lists of best horror movies of the eighties, and and I I had forgotten how many horror movies there were in the eighties. Like I, I know I saw so very few of them because you know aforementioned uh, thing about being scared. but uh, <laughs> I get scared. But, Ergo, I do not need to get scared <laughs> by the movie. Life is scary enough. I saw a 25-minute clip of his documentary, and even in 25 minutes, I forget how many movies he covered, and I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about that movie. Oh, that's right. There was that movie, too. It's just, it's one of those, it's a deep, deep well, oh, yeah. and he explains why, yeah. you know. I mean, I know I talk about that, too, that I don't really watch horror movies, but I think back, and I'm like, well, no, I just don't want to go back and watch them again. Like, I remember seeing Reanimator. I remember seeing Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I remember seeing a lot of these movies, more of the kind of deeper cult stuff that someone in college is like, oh, you got to see this. It's amazing. But it's just not something that I go back to. Yeah. Part three of In Search of Darkness covers 79 movies from some of the direct-to-video flicks that became so popular that decade uh, to the stuff that was on your neighborhood video store shelves uh, to even your favorite, Brad, the drive-in theater flicks. So good. You know, anything that's on the back end of a, a, a double feature at the drive-in, you know it's going to be schlocky. <laughs> anyway, the best part of this documentary is that it's fan-funded. If you order a DVD online, you get your name in the film credits. It's the same deal he had for In Search of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. We did get people sending us uh, screen grabs of yeah. the credits with their name on it. Like, hey, that's cool. He'll give you the address for how to do it, and I'll give you the address before the show's over. Uh, but you have to hurry because this offer ends 
at the stroke of midnight on Halloween. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. So when the calendar turns over to All Saints Day, your opportunity is gone. Yeah. David and I chatted for over an hour. The interview is not an hour long, but we, we talked about everything from uh, – I can't, I can't even remember everything that we covered. I know at one point we were showing each other our 80s toys, and he was showing me like a collectible of Spock from Wrath of Khan, and I was showing him the stuffed Falcor from NeverEnding Story. I like children. For breakfast? <laughs> Never. I'm a luck dragon. My name is Falcor. He talks about everything from his thoughts on the movie franchises, like the Friday the 13th movies and Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, even his opinion of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. A lot of people, yeah, that's a dividing that was interesting, thing for the, some people. The, kind of the pitch for that. I didn't realize that, but it does kind of make sense. After the interview, we'll be back with Seggies. But for now, sit back and enjoy this conversation with filmmaker David Weiner. David Weiner, welcome back to Stuck in the 80s. Thank you very much, Steve. It's nice to be here. I got to tell you, um, the last time we chatted, we we talked about your documentary In Search of Tomorrow. And afterwards, you know, scores of Stuck in the 80s fans were, were messaging me saying, you know, I ordered it, I got it. And they were like taking screen captures so they could, I could see that their names were in the credits and all that kind of fun stuff. There, there's a there's a whole community aspect to the In Search of Darkness and In Search of Tomorrow movies that we we crowdfund these in the beginning. Uh, this is all by the fans for the fans, and so the, what is the end product? You get a four and a half or now five hour film about '80s horror cinema with with you know fifty seventy interviews or more. I, I can go into the specifics, but. <laughs> What ultimately these are is that they're celebrations of a really great time uh, that we all had going to the movies or renting movies from the video store. And so uh, we do try and have a whole communal element to these films where, among many other things, in terms of community and fan backer engagement and, and uh, uh, surveys and polls to determine what's in the movie, during the end credits, we everyone gets to be in the end credit as well and sort of help shepherd these projects over the line. And how many people offer that up with their films? I think that's pretty cool. It's not only, you know, you order the film and then you wait for it to be made. There's a whole process that we, we're very proud of doing at Creator VC. So for those who are considering part three of In Search of Darkness, what's the deadline to order to get your name in the credits and to get the film? Midnight at Halloween. So however many days between now and Halloween, uh, you got to go to 80shorrordoc.com, 80shorrordoc.com. All the information is there. Uh, in, in Search of Darkness Part 3 is the final film of the trilogy, the, the, thus the three in In Search of Darkness 3. Uh, but for the uninitiated who don't know In Search of Darkness, In Search of Darkness started as a crowdfunded project where we interviewed 50 icons and legends from the 80s. John Carpenter, Joe Dante, Barbara Crampton, you name it. They, if they were on screen or behind the camera, 
they're talking to us and they're talking about one of the greatest decades of, of filmmaking, not only because the imagination was so great, but the practical effects were insane. And there was an explosion of content because of the video revolution and the instant gratification, quote unquote, compared to today, uh, of going and having a movie in your hand, popping it in the VCR and, and you watch your VHS tape. And next thing you know, between that and cable, you can watch these things over and over and over and become huge fans of them. So in Search of Darkness Part 1, what we did was we structured all these movies from 1980 to 1989. Within each year, there's a number of films that we cover. And then in between each year, there's a there's a chapter that's on a larger context chapter. Uh, sorry, a larger context chapter that's on a, a topic uh, about the era and how these films play into the zeitgeist and how they were affected by the pop culture and politics and vice versa. So we did that and it turned out to be a four and a half hour film and it was so well received. There was a demand for In Search of Darkness Part 2 and we did that and it was so well received. The cacophony got so loud that we should do one more. I, I could not help but oblige and here we are now talking about this and Now's the time to jump on it between now and Halloween at midnight, because it's the only way you can get it, a physical copy in your hands. So that raises the question, of course. I mean, if there's a huge thundering uh, reaction to part three, will you be insert? Will there be a in search of uh, darkness part four in the works? In search of darkness, the revenge. Yeah. Uh, in 3D. Um, Seems well, appropriate. Well, opportunity because three usually is the one that, that is the gimmicky 3D version. But uh, I think we're done with 80s horror for now. Uh, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of horror movies that came out during that decade. And uh, even though we, we cover 79 movies in this third installment where you take part one, part two, part three, you've got 14 plus hours of an exploration in a decade. That's That's a lot to chew on. There's still, believe it or not, hundreds of movies that we have yet to even talk about or give lip service to. But I think we're on to 90s next. Oh, uh, no. there's, there's a lot of people who want to see In Search of Darkness 90s, so we're in early development on that. There's always the possibility of going back to the 80s and the 70s, for that matter. Uh, and, you know, we're looking at doing an In Search of Tomorrow 2, which would be more 80s sci-fi. So... Uh, listen, we, we're all about the 80s here, right? <laughs> yeah. So don't worry, don't worry. They're, you know, we're even working on uh, In Search of Legends. That's in development as well. And that's about fantasy films, you know, Conan the Barbarian or Crawl, you know, Never Ending Story and Labyrinth, all the fun stuff that we loved as kids. Uh, that's on our plate as well. We just need to be able to, we're a small team at Creator VC. So, you know, we're also working on a cloning mechanism to best clone ourselves so we can create more content <laughs> at the same time. It's not working so well. God, you, you had me at crawl. <laughs> Listen, I know you've got a glaive in your back pocket. Don't lie. God, I would love to have a, I think they sell them somewhere. I'm going to, that's another thing we were, I was just talking the other day about what, what, what I have in my eighties collection. That's the most expensive and really not necessarily to, to own. And I think, I figured out that I'd spent three hundred dollars on a stuffed Falcor from Neverending Story. Ah, I have so. a crawl book here somewhere. Where'd it go? Oh, here it is. There we go. Ah, uh, uh, for the uninitiated, there's this. Yeah. There's the Marvel Super Special Comic Book Edition. Ah, I just can't get enough of that movie. Sorry, I, I have to do show and tell. <laughs> I, just, I just showed Steve the uh, the Alan Dean Foster novel of Crawl. <laughs> Where's my? Oh, here. Hang on. 
<laughs> right? You can't have these conversations without the show and tell of it all. Uh, what do we have here? Okay. Here's Falcor. Ah, <laughs> there we go. Uh, Falcor has become, become a meme where you we have uh, the dude from the Big Lebowski uh, flying around in you know in the air on Valcor. <laughs> uh, it's very fun. Um, we live in a golden age where <laughs> memes rule the world. Um, speaking of golden ages, I, I want to take you back to your childhood. Do you remember some of the first horror movies you saw growing up? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm a monster kid through and through. I couldn't even tell you the first horror movie I saw. Uh, or a monster movie I saw because it was all just on television. It just kind of washed over me. So uh, what was the first? I have no idea. It wasn't that indelible because I was watching when I was so young, but I was watching all the universal monster movies. So I was, and I read famous monsters of film land, you know, early on, because I saw that on the, on the newsstands and it was a magazine that spoke to me. So, you know, whether it was, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula and the Wolfman, or for me, Creature from the Black Lagoon really spoke to me because I was convinced that that's not a man in makeup, but an actual creature they captured in a lagoon. Um, you know, watching the Munsters, there's gateway stuff too. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Gabby, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, the Munsters and the Adams Family. This was all, you know, talk about a 24-7 feed into my veins. Um, and, and I have to single out, uh, growing up in the New York area, there was a, a, a weekly movie show called The 4.30 Movie. What time was it on? 4.30. And <laughs> what they did every single couple of weeks was they would have a theme week and they'd have Monster Week or they'd have Edgar Allan Poe Week with Vincent Price movies and Planet of the Apes Week. I mean, Ape, Ape Week was huge. And so, you know, between that and, and my Mego figures of Star Trek and Planet of the Apes and you know, the 430 movie and all these these things I would discover where, you know, Charlton Heston week, where not only is you got Planet of the Apes, but I've got the Omega Man and Soylent Green. I was exposed to so much of the stuff that warped me for my entire life in the best way possible. You, you talk about them as being gateway experiences, and I, I never thought of it that way before. When I grew up, there was a every Saturday on the UHF station or the v, yeah, UHF, I guess. Um, there was Dr. Paul Bearer with the creature feature. <laughs> right. A horror so, host. Yeah. You would see, uh, you would see. And I remember there was a showing, uh, was it, was creature, the black lagoon available in 3d at one point or some version of it? Well, yeah, it was first, it was 3d when it first came out. Yeah. So I remember when that came out, they had some special where you had to go to like the neighborhood convenience store to get the special glasses. So you could actually watch it at home in 3d. I remember mm -hmm. it was the, probably one of the biggest movie events you know for me pre star wars um that and the abin costello movies every sunday I'd, I'd never thought of them as 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 part of the horror genre i don't know why well, i would do that it, it's if you think about it uh there, there was what people may not realize is that there was a huge horror boom in the 60s uh late 50s uh and then early 60s was this just massive explosion because it all came down to this, uh, like a scare package, like a horror package uh, of all these classic universal monster movies that were, were given to local TV stations. And uh, all these local TV stations around the United States 
were encouraged to have their own horror host host these films as sort of a, you know, ingratiating new viewers into it. And, you know, that's where you got uh, Zachary and, you know, Spanguli today is, is reminiscent of these original horror hosts. But what happened was all these, a whole new generation grew up with this being brand new. Cause you have to remember this is pre VHS days and pre internet days, obviously. So what happened was, was if there was, if there was not a revival screening at a local theater, all of a sudden now this is on TV 24 seven and people just glommed onto it. And it was an absolute explosion where merchandising came out of it. Uh, and more horror people saw gold with the, the horror movies coming back, you know, so hammer, hammer horror, all of a sudden there was much more hammer horror. Uh, and, and in the seventies, this, this was on, uh, I remember a show called, um, Thriller, Chiller Theater, Ch sorry, Chiller Theater, where if you actually, if you, you got to go on YouTube to find this. I'm sure there are a couple Chiller Theaters, but my Chiller Theater had this insane promo where you saw a tree and a bloody, what looked like a bloody lake, but it's just blood. And out of it comes a six figure hand, stop motion, spelling out Chiller, <laughs> and then going back into this bloody pond. And that made such an absolute impression on me. Uh, and I just have happy memories watching all these movies. So, gosh, when did I start? It started as soon as I could, you know, eat solid food. <laughs> I, the, the trouble is, and I, I, people who listen to Stuck in the 80s for a long time know that I'm sadly not a gigantic fan of the horror genre. And I think it's because one of the earliest movies that I remember seeing, and I don't know how I got a copy of it or whether it was on a midnight showing, but it was the exorcist. The, the uh -huh. first well, that'll, that'll cure you. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think between that and seeing poltergeist in the theaters uh -huh. and, and when the guy tears his face off in the mirror, mm. I think those two things alone have kind of got me so frightened. And to this day, when I watch a horror movie, I, I, I have nightmares for a couple of days afterwards. So I, I don't know what, I, I need some sort of some some sort of deep cleansing to get some of these bad mojo uh, moments out of my history and start remembering there, how much fun they could be. Well, they can. Well, there's lots of horror with humor, and there's lots of horror with a sense of humor. And and when people look at the '80s and they think about, well, what was there? It was a bunch of you know Freddies and Jasons and and Michael Myers, you know, slashing up teenagers. What's the fun in that? I understand that. I get it, especially when you're not wired to love that just for the sake of what it is. Uh, you know, you see the violence first, you know, and I understand that completely. Boy, Cisco and Niebert saw the violence first and they told everyone to steer clear. Uh, but there are plenty of movies that are a are lot, lot more tame, have a lot more humor. Um, and I think there's a, a requirement to sort of frame your your appreciation with the art of the filmmaking and the practical effects and so when you have tom savini or rick baker or rob botin and you have an american werewolf in london you could you could really uh marvel in how amazing uh the special effects were and the practical effects were in the time and so if you're really kind of focusing on what was required to tell such an imaginative tale Maybe you won't get so caught up in the actual horror of the horror. That's my thought process. Otherwise, stick with like 
Transylvania 65,000 <laughs> Costello movies and you know I mean I like a lot of people are afraid of Evil Dead you know Evil Dead 2 by Sam Raimi Sam Raimi is like he loves the three stooges and and he puts in gallons of blood to tell you that this is actually a comedy uh there are, sure are scary elements to it but I think if you watch it in a well-lit room you can appreciate what's going on and not have nightmares. That's my yeah. that's my take on it. But you could obviously disagree. I when I was when I was trying to compile a list of of great horror movies of the eighties, and I was googling the results, I was surprised to be reminded that there were a lot of movies that had a strong sense of humor to them. And I'm thinking of um, Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even American Werewolf in London has a lot of plenty of humor, humor in that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's still scary. I yeah. mean, that's a sort of scary and humor. But yeah, you could look to uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, arguably, Reanimator might get a little too intense and crazy, but it's not scary. It's just, uh, it's just, it just crosses the line yeah. left and right. But it's all with a tongue in cheek. Yeah, Witches of Eastwick uh, comes uh-huh. to mind. Um, I don't know. If I, then I try to think to. Then I've also, I also this challenge. Where I'm trying to combine. If you combined everything that the '80s is known for into one movie, and it were a horror movie, my thinking is that it becomes the Lost Boys. Ah, okay. Because you've got the sort of the good-looking, uh, not the, not really the brat pack per se, but you know, you got a great soundtrack. You got really. Um, it really was vampires. It was, it was sort of it was the MT, it was MTV vampires. Yes, and and I agree with you. It actually was sort of a brat pack feel to it, you know, especially with Kiefer Sutherland, uh, you know, front and center in that one. Um, it's uh, and Joel Schumacher directed it very 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 stylish. You know, he went on to do you know Batman Returns and Batman and Robin, which might have gotten a little pushback, but he was a he was a stylist stylish director. Um, that I think uh, I, I would argue that one's kind of scary, you know. Um, but I think it is it is sort of a pinnacle of, of 80s in terms of uh, the sort of MTV sheen and look of it. And uh, it's very entertaining. It's got a rockin' soundtrack, you know, and it's got the call and uh, in the beginning with I Still Believe and you've got the well-oiled, muscled saxophonist <laughs> blasting away. doesn't get any better than that. Oh, you truly are an 80s fan. Um <laughs> <laughs> to, to to bring up the call you know and i still believe i used to <clears throat> have that album and i they opened for simple minds on one tour uh-huh. i saw them i was just like, this is one of the greatest opening bands i've ever seen if they could only right. just get a break uh just let just just put them in a movie they, they, um, they had two songs they're like a two-hit wonder and then that was that yeah they had the walls came down it was the, other yep. one. the uh if if there was a specific type of horror movie that made its mark in the 80s you know if if or if there was a specific kind of horror movie that sort of um found its maturity during those years what would what would it be found it well i I would say that uh stanley kubrick's the shining very early on really kind of uh uh pushed the genre forward in terms of uh appreciation of the art form um, you know, uh, horror really kind of was the redheaded stepchild and and the domain of, of B-movie uh, categories. Um, but in the 70s, there were some films like The Exorcist where all of a sudden people were, you know, it was a blockbuster. People were lining up around the block, you know, to see The Exorcist. They're, they're, it was in the news left and right. 
that some people, you know, passed out in the theater or threw up because it was so intense. And, you know, I mean, that goes back to Psycho, you know, Alfred Hitchcock and Psycho where, you know, or a William Castle gimmick, you know, but it's like part of the gimmick to get people in the theaters is say, you know, a, a medical personnel will be will be present at all times for anyone who might have, you know, heart issues or, you know, you, you, you will not get a, 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 you know, you can't get a refund if you stay past the first 15 minutes, which will shock you, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff like that. It's, click, it's clickbait before there was clickbait. Very much so, you know. And so the 80s comes around and, um, you know, there's plenty of, of schlock, but you have to ha- you have to say that uh, in the wake of Halloween in 1978, uh, you know, John Carpenter, Hollywood, when it comes down to it, is always looking at numbers. They're looking at box office. And it doesn't matter what genre it is. If a movie is making huge amounts of money on a very small budget, Hollywood is going to come like a a ravenous pack of hyenas to try and, and, and replicate the formula. Thus, the slasher boom kicks off and you have a movie like Friday the 13th that does really, really well. Next thing everyone says, well, not only do we have to do a horror slasher movie, it's got to have a holiday <laughs> title, you know, on it. Uh, but then you have Stanley Kubrick comes along and he takes a Stephen King book. You know, prior to that, you really just had Carrie with Brian De Palma giving giving some credibility to that uh, particular uh, title. You know, you had Salem's Lot as well, but that was a TV movie. But then all of a sudden Kubrick comes along and you've got Jack Nicholson and it's it's uh, a movie while at the time not well received by people who appreciated the book and didn't like the differences that the movie had to offer, it it gave credibility to the genre where other folks like David Cronenberg could up his game and do, you know, prior to that, he's doing heads exploding and scanners and, you know, uh, communicable disease vampires with rabbit and stuff like that and really creepy stuff with the brood in 1979, but that could give him the dead zone and that can give him uh, 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 the fly in 1986. John Carpenter can continue on and get to do the thing and Christine. And um, there's lots of great movies where, if something did really well, more money was thrown their way and you can get the Elm Street franchise and it's got a little more marketing uh, uh, cachet to it when they sell it. And, you know, it's the, it's the birth of it's not the it's not the origin of, but it really is kind of the birth of the horror franchise, because everyone said, if this sticks, we're going to make 20 Friday the 13th. We're going to make 20 Hellraisers. We're going to make we need the next iconic character how about a a a possessed talking doll named chucky you know whatever it it may be we talked you talked for a second about franchises i'm I'm just curious your personal opinion have the horror franchises the 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 freddies and the jasons and the and the michael myers they've been good for the, the horror genre overall or bad for the horror genre they're the pillars they're the pillars no matter listen they can survive bad sequels left and right because they're ever present. Uh, and, and to this day and age, when you have uh, a, a brand new ha- Halloween trilogy finishing up, you know, as we speak, the fact that we've got Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, facing off against Michael Myers, kind of doesn't matter if this movie is good or not. You know, it doesn't take anything away from John Carpenter's 1978 the Halloween. It makes people look back at the franchise and check things out out of curiosity. And uh, it sells... Uh, costumes and and merchandise and spirit Halloween and what have you. Um, And it's just an ultimate celebration because I think every generation 
uh, and every genre needs their sort of uh, uh, Mount Rushmore, right? Um, and that's kind of what this is. What this is, and a lot of it comes from the '80s, you know. So you have like the classic Universal monsters. Every time they try and go back and do the new Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, it's not does not do well. But people are constantly going back to those wonderful black and white films from '30s, '40s, and '50s, right? So I think uh, whatever these franchises are, and whoever is atop the franchise currently with a remake or a reboot or a requel or a reimagining or a sequel, it keeps it in the public eye. It introduces it to a brand new generation who might be curious about a little film history and want to go to the source. Quick question based on that. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Good movie or bad movie? Uh, is that a Halloween movie with Michael Myers? I don't know. It's, so. it's that, not. That, that's it, one of the anthology films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ha- Halloween 3, for those who are not in the know, Halloween 3, uh, my, uh, Michael Myers introduced in Halloween in 78 and returned for the continuation of the story literally moments after the end of Halloween is in Halloween 2. So Halloween 3 comes along a couple of years later and everyone says, yay, more Michael Myers. It's called Season of the Witch. I'm not going to pay attention. I want my <laughs> Michael Myers. You know, uh, we don't see him in any of the advertising, but I want my Michael Myers. And so people were befuddled when they went to go see Halloween 3 and there was no Michael Myers. And so it did not do very well in the box office. You know, behind the scenes, John Carpenter, uh, he even enlisted Joe Dante at one point to to uh, work on one of the this on this film. He he's like, let's do a new Halloween movie every year or every other year, with Halloween as the title. But it's an anthology, and every movie can be different. It's almost like Creepshow as an anthology contained in one film. Halloween. Every time we have John Carpenter's Halloween, it's going to be a different story. It's going to be a horror film. We could do anything we want. Uh, didn't work out that way. Uh, John Carpenter talks all about Halloween three in uh, In Search of Darkness Part One, and uh, he, he's he's wonderfully cynical and self-effacing about some of his failures. Uh, and he's just like shows you how wrong I could be, you know, when he came out with Halloween three. But last I'll say is that there there has uh, been a growing appreciation for that movie in the many decades that have passed since. And now people love it as its own individual entity and uh, embrace it that much more as a sort of anomaly in the Halloween series, which went starting with Halloween 4 right back to Michael Myers territory. I mean, give John Carpenter this. I mean, he plants that earworm in my head every year, the Silver (laughs) Shamrock commercial. I I can't. I mean, it's almost it's almost time for me to start singing along with the commercial as it plays in my head. Well, it's 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 London Bridges reworked. If you think about it, happy, happy Halloween, silver shamrock. (laughs) 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 That's another that's another crowning achievement with In Search of Darkness. Part (laughs) one, Tom Atkins is in it. And just to have Tom Atkins humming the Halloween three earworm uh, is just absolute nirvana. (laughs) I bet. Well, some of the, so some of the interviews you've done in this this latest version, and um, I, I think I asked you this with the In Search of Tomorrow chat that we have. Like, what were the what were the people that you talked to that you're like, oh my god, this is like, you know, best day of my life kind of interview. Well, this time around, it was a, it was a very different cross section of folks. Uh, you know, like I said, with In Search of Darkness one, it was the the heavy hitters uh, uh, in the legends and the icons of the era. We collected so many 
amazing faces to celebrate this decade. And when we got to go with part two, part of it was coming uh, to a lot of the folks that we weren't able to get to part one, in part one, and bringing them in to, uh, you know, into the documentary, along with a lot of the faces with that were, were uh, in correlation to the films we were talking about. Well, this time we're really kind of dead diving into the underbelly of, of 80s horror, the dusty shelves in that sort of farthest, you know, corner of the of the video store. But there's also plenty of theatrical stuff that we just haven't gotten to, whether it's Prom Night or whether it's Jaws the Revenge or Michael Caine in the Hand or Serpent <laughs> in the Rainbow and stuff like that. Uh, this time around, it was very cool. But there were still some names that I wanted to get to. And so, like, you know, sitting down with, with Dee Wallace and Adrienne Barbeau were just incredibly, you know, pinch me moments. And, uh, you know, someone like Charles Band, I don't know if he's such a common name with this audience, but he's the guy behind Reanimator and uh, Full Loon Entertainment. He, he, he was a producer of all sorts of genre entertainment that usually went straight to video because he capitalized on this brand new opportunity to bypass the Hollywood gatekeeper system and just distribute stuff low budget, right, you know, by himself. Uh, and so, you know, he did, he started off the puppet master franchise in the nineties and so on. Uh, and I, my first job in Hollywood when I wasn't working on a movie set was doing runs for Charlie band and full moon entertainment. So to come full circle and sit down with Charlie band and just talk about his career and his, his perception of his work so many decades later was just for me kind of full circle and, and, and a real joy to do that. And, it's always fun when when I, I reminded him, like, oh, yeah, Charlie, it, thanks so much for sitting down for In Search of Darkness. We're so happy to finally have you. By the way, I worked for you in the early 90s. He's like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh-oh, is this going to be a hit job or is this going to be a, a, a celebration? But believe me, it's a celebration. You, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, and the teaser that you thankfully shared with me for In Search of Darkness Part 3 mentions it. How important is the the video revolution to the horror movie business in the eighties? It's a huge, huge, huge deal. And and as I've said, hundreds and hundreds of movies came out during that decade, and it was directly because of this new technology, video. You know, it's like talking to an eighties audience. We all know, but I think it's important to reiterate how revolutionary this was because if we wanted to see a movie, we went to the movie theater or we went to the drive-in or we had to patiently wait for it to be on TV. And we may or may not even know it's coming on television, you know? Uh, and if it's on TV and we came in halfway through, nothing you could do about it, you know? Or if you weren't combing through your TV guide, meticulously plotting your week and, and marking all the things that you wanted to watch, you just wouldn't know, you know, thanks to the 430 movie and, and Chiller Theater and so many other stations that wanted to have horror marathons, you know, uh, we got a lot of great stuff. But it wasn't until all of a sudden a technology that said you could hold a movie in your hand and you could pop it in and watch it whenever you want. And you could stop it and start it and come back to it and watch it over and over and over again. Conversely with that, or sorry, you know, parallel to that, you've got cable. All of a sudden on HBO, Showtime, these movies are on and they're on repeat and you can catch them over and over and over and over again. And so the horror industry, again, stood up and took note. And so they saw dollar signs. 
And they said, listen, if I make a, one movie and I put it on a videotape, all these mom and pop stores are just popping up everywhere. And they all need 15,000, 20,000 videos so they could populate their store and rent them. Uh, and so movies, when you were first doing it on, on VHS, the retail was $50 to $100 literally per bit, per, per, per tape. Uh, and so if you were someone like, you know, Lloyd Kaufman or Roger Carman or Charlie Band making uh, a horror movie because sex and violence sells, uh, you can just have this insane exploitation cover sell to, you know, 10,000, you know, just do the math, you know, say there's 10,000 mom and pop stores that are paying $75 for your one tape to put on their shelf, you know, uh, you're, you're an overnight millionaire. And you're like, well, I'm in the movie business now. Let's make more and more and more. And the people who got in early, they really got in. They got it, had it good because when the videotape was a brand new thing, a lot of the Hollywood studios were really gun shy about licensing their titles to put on videotape because they just thought that's giving money away. And so they were slow to, to jump on that where independent producers said, this is mine. And I can buy it, bypass this Hollywood system and do go direct to video, if not shoot on video and go direct to video. And that's where you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these movies, thanks to anything from, uh, you know, Halloween and Friday the 13th doing really well on VHS to other horror titles, sex and horror and pornography. Uh, that's always ahead of the curve when there's a new technology. Uh, like it or not. <laughs> so with all these hundreds of movies and so many of them are featured in your, in your three in search of darkness movies. Can you name one movie? One, can you name the best horror movie that probably no one in my listenership has seen? Like if you were going to give one recommendation that just, this is a great movie and I bet you haven't seen it. What is it? Oh boy, you're talking about you're talking to a guy who when you say what's your favorite movie, I'm like, well, can I give you a ten? Yeah, um, well, you could say ten if you want, but I've narrowed it down to it. It's got to be a movie that we that that almost certainly we haven't seen. A great movie that you guys have not seen. Um, oh, it's very very tough. You're, I think Trick or Treat is a fun one. Trick or Treat, uh, which has very little to do with Halloween. And it has to do with heavy metal and sort of a, a, a big middle finger to the satanic panic of, uh, of the eighties, <laughs> uh, you know, where, where Congress was, was, you know, Frank Zappa and, and D Snyder of twisted sister are getting in front of uh, the Congress folks because they want to uh, label, if not arguably censor their music and they think uh, a lot of their lyrics are pornographic or demonic and 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 uh, influencing young impressionable minds and they need to control it. Uh, Trick or Treat is really all about that. It's about devil worship. It's about, you know, uh, running, you know, ba records backwards for the satanic messages. And it's about, you know, rock and rollers uh, standing up to the man, quote unquote, you know, who want to censor their music. Uh, and it, it, it features... You know, uh, cameos by by Gene Simmons of Kiss and, and Ozzy Osbourne as a uh, uh, evangelical preacher against all of this stuff. Stars, stars Mark Price from Family Ties, Skippy from Family Ties, 
it's a really fun and entertaining film and uh, it's called Trick or Treat and uh, it's got a great rockin' soundtrack from a band called Fastway. It's kind of got all these ingredients that uh, I think your audience who is not just, who's not dialed into, uh, who is only dialed into horror mainstream. This one, it's kind of well known among horror fans, but I think it, it ticks a lot of boxes. That's great. So remind people again, what's the best way to to help out your cause and get their names in the credits before the uh, movie's released? Yeah, now is the time to jump on uh, on this opportunity between now and Halloween at midnight. Go to 80shorrordoc.com, 80s, 80s Horror Doc. Uh, you can get, and this is all about uh, a, a small company where we make and manufacture and distribute all of this ourselves. Uh, and so we're really all about the, the, the wonderful having that physical copy in your hands, you know, and, and having something on your shelf. And in, in the ever-rotating uh, uh, streaming world where titles come and go, this is something that you'll have as a keepsake forever because not only is it a cool five-hour film, but you get to have your name in the credits. Uh, and if you missed In Search of Darkness Part 1 and Part 2, we also have the option of getting the trilogy as a box set as well in its own slipcase, which is super cool. But you get other cool things like, you know, posters and a digital download of the movie and digital download of the soundtrack. We have this cool card. It's like a video membership card. It looks exactly like a videotape and the kind that we used to have at our local mom and pop shop. And it has incentives for merchandise with really cool uh, horror, horror, uh, uh, companies, you know, that sell really cool horror stuff. But last I'll say about it is that, uh, you know, now's the time to get it, especially if you want to put your name in the credits or if you have a podcast, you can put your podcast, you can put your your favorite pet or a, or a loved one, you know, but it ultimately is helping get this over the line. Uh, and it's only now until October and uh, sorry, October 31st, Halloween at midnight. You know, it's like it's like Halloween three. It's like it's almost time, kids. The big put giveaway. On the, put on midnight. the mask. Put on your mask, and you'll be eaten alive and turn into <laughs> snakes and bugs and spiders. Uh, another cool thing we're doing uh, for those who really are kind of uh, big fans of this genre, uh, or if you're just really taken with it, is uh, all these titles. There's 79 movies that we cover in In Search of Darkness three alone. Not to mention the the chapters in between. Um, but this is driven by what the fans really wanted. We did surveys and polls to dictate all the content. And I was more than happy to put as much of it as I could in this. Uh, what I would love to have, because in this end credits, you have your own credit there. These credits can be kind of long. And so uh, I want everyone, I would love, Steve, for you to do this. Everyone who's listening, you can record a video testimonial talking about why you love horror movies 80s horror, a film, a filmmaker, or even the In Search of Darkness franchise and, and how that's impacted you and your appreciation for horror. Um, and what I plan to do, I can't promise all of them, but I plan to just pack as many as I can during those end credits. And I think it really brings the community together uh, uh, with a heartfelt appreciation for what this means to all of us. Uh, if you want to do that, you go to uh, our socials at 80s horror doc on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. There's a link tree there. You click on the link tree and there's a thing right there that says how you can 
you know, submit your video and what the, you know, requirements are and, and so forth. But I'll say one last thing about this. Um, there's all sorts of weird movies on here. There's all sorts of wild movies. There's international films. It, this is collectively with all three films. It's an absolute celebration of an era. And, and we don't pretend that all these films are the greatest things in the world. But it's important for me to have all the stuff on an even playing field. So you might have The Shining at the top of the, you know, the top of the, the food chain, arguably. But for every, you know, trick or treat or shopping mall, there's people who love that movie. And, and these movies are loved because sometimes the nostalgia looking back is not necessarily, and this goes for anything regarding nostalgia. It's not necessarily the movie, but it's the time of your life. Who were you? Where were you? You know, who were you with? Who took you to the movies on a, on a rainy day for an escape and your mind was blown by some insane movie that, that's on this list? You know, well, you were, things were tough at home. Mom and dad were arguing. So you and your older brother or sister went to go see something. And that really just made a, a huge difference in your life. And you didn't even realize it until you look back on it, just the title alone. Or even like, you know, you were in the basement and you were watching cable and you were just, someone's got to make sure that the door is locked, you know, so the parents <laughs> can come in while you're watching Humanoids from the Deep and you're, it's a profound religious experience with DNA and violence. That's like me, I might be projecting here. You know, these, these, this is more than the movie itself. It's really just our happy memories, like a, like a good song, you know, or a nostalgic smell. It just brings you back. Yeah. Well, that's the goal here. And I appreciate that perspective. I really connect with it. Uh, David Weiner, thanks again for, for being on the show and telling us about this amazing project. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're keeping the flag flying on one of the greatest decades ever, if not arguably the greatest decade. And it's really fun to reminisce about this stuff. And, and uh, I also enjoy talking to an audience that knows what the hell I'm talking about. When we say, <laughs> you know, why VHS and going into video stores was an important thing. It should always be that way. Thanks again. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. There we go. David Weiner. Great conversation. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, interesting guy. Maybe I should watch this. Maybe I would enjoy this, even though I'm not as familiar with the with the source material, because it's just it's a compelling story that he's telling. I think it's really interesting that he's getting all these people yeah. to come and talk about these projects. I'm really excited about this this next project he's working on, the In Search of Legends. So we'll yeah. cover this oh, the yeah. fantasy. Can I send him movies? money now for that? Because I can <laughs> tell him what is best in life. <laughs> to podcast before yeah. your enemies. <laughs> That's right, haters. Suck it. <laughs> <laughs> to help uh, David with his project and to get a copy of the documentary, you can go to 80shorrordoc.com. That's eight zero s h o r r o r d o c dot c o m. Yes, that was for yeah. you, Chuck Coverley. This one's also for you, Chuck Coverley. The, the Seggies. Seggies. Uh, by that tone, it must be time for listener mailbag. Oh. You know how hard it is for me not to say reader mailbag every week. Yeah, you know, gentle <laughs> listeners, when I came on the show. Steve, why do we call it reader mailbag? No one's reading the podcast. Like, yeah, okay, you're right. I mean, we can go yeah. back for old time's sake. We could, like, you know, we could reboot the Seggy. <laughs> reboot the Seggy. Have you tried it's rebooting? 
the the sound effect that we use is saved in the production library as reader mailbag. So uh, yeah, well, that's because it predates, and you don't change file names. Yeah. you know, come on, that's yeah. silly. That's that's so that's such a rookie move. It's just you know, it's just bad data management. <laughs> anyway, we have an email this week from uh, Shari, uh, who's one of our patrons. So Brad, give it a whirl. Yeah, let me just tell you, this is two episodes in a row with the with a listener mailbag. I almost said reader mailbag <laughs> with the listener mailbag. <laughs> And I, oh, it's fantastic! Just come, come join us in the '80s Nation hot tub, and we'll soak and and hear what Shari has to say. Okay, here we go. Shari writes, "Hi, Stephen Brad. I have been hooked on Cobra Kai from episode one. When I first heard about it being a thing, I almost got a subscription to YouTube Red, but decided to be patient. And lo and behold, it found a home on Netflix. Now I revel in the absolute cheese fest, and I'm happy to have a viewing partner in my brother-in-law." We gobble up every over-the-top goofy fight scene and awkward conversation that the clueless adults have with their teen progeny. And it's pretty good. The amazing thing, so far, this show has not had a bad season, in my opinion. What are both of your takes? Rumor is that season six will be the last season, but there's also a rumor that companion shows are in the works. Any guess what the spinoff will be? Only time will tell. Yeah, I think they're going to have a spinoff that's going to be uh, based on uh, Daniel LaRusso's Bicycle. Every episode, the bike gets handed to somebody new, and they ride it on adventures. Yeah, it's going to be like Knight Rider with a bike and no talking. And shot in black and white. Yeah, absolutely. And, with and, French and subtitles. And all the characters are mimes. <laughs> 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 oh, jeez. I know I'm not supposed to laugh at my own jokes. Here we go. Here's my other recent nostalgia fix. I was able to attend the awesome traveling exhibit on the work of the legend that was Jim Henson. And the exhibit included scripts, puppets, sketches, and more, all detailing his amazing career. I absolutely geeked out. Like so many others, I was raised on The Muppets, starting with Sesame Street, then tuning into The Muppet Show Weekly with my dad, and watching Muppet Babies religiously on Saturday mornings. Well, you lost me at The Muppet Babies thing, but it's, we're, we're cool. <laughs> we're cool, Shari. It's good. That being said, you can imagine what a huge emotional kick this exhibit was for me. The highlights were the incredible costumes worn by David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly in the ballroom scene in Labyrinth. The Jen, Kira, and Agra puppets from Dark Crystal. It was like visiting with old friends. I was awestruck. As usual, I remain, along with both of you, forever stuck in the 80s. Signed, Shari like Starry. By the way, I looked it up. You can find out more about the Jim Henson exhibit. It's at movingimage.us. It looks like it's in Grand Rapids, Michigan right now. Okay. Uh, through January, and then it moves to Baltimore. Nice. But I, Actually, I'm that not, sounds really not interesting. not sure that's... Yeah, it does sound interesting. I love that stuff. Back to Cobra Kai. So where are you on Cobra Kai, Mr. Spearsy, sir? Just now finishing up season four. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm behind. But but I'm struggling. I really, I can't can't get past the fight scenes. Okay. They're just so, just, I I don't even know that I have words. Yeah. I mean, they're they're at a prom and let's, oh, let's and suddenly it's throw down. Let's throw down. Yeah, no just, slight too so small old. to not kick off a kickoff. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something happens in every episode that makes me still want to continue watching. Yeah, and people have told us that no matter what you do, you have to finish season four. Okay, but I've already seen clips from season five, so I already know kind of how season four ends. Okay, more or less. Yeah, but uh, so I think we still have two episodes to go. I mean, I'll tell you, we we watched season one and was 
glorious. And Shari, when you said I almost got a subscription, I actually got a try. I signed up for a trial to YouTube Red so we could watch it and then turn it off the second it was over. So I was happy to see it show up on Netflix. We've only seen through season two, and some of that is the fight scene stuff. Like, are there no police in this world? Like, what on <laughs> earth is going on? There's like a 20-minute fight sequence at the end of the the last episode of season two. And like I said, it's like 20 minutes in, the one you know school officer comes chumbling across the parking lot. Like, where is he? <laughs> what? You know, these people not have phones? What's going on here? Anyway, people are just beating the ever-living snot out of each other. And I'm like, you know, hmm, it's just, it's a little, I love the storylines. And season one was just mm, chef's kiss. And season two, I was just like, hmm, eh, are we going soap opera here? Soap opera with fighting? Because I I don't know. Yeah, no. Convince me, email me and tell me why I should keep watching it. Because Katie and I have kind of put it on the shelf. I'll just tell you that full stop. I think we'll finish season four and then we'll probably stop. The, when, when the storyline is Daniel and Johnny, it's great. And when they bring back characters from the movies, it's even better. Right. But when it devolves into 20-minute fight scenes in school, which I'm sorry, I don't mean to imply anything here, but that's a little tone deaf considering the problems we have with school shootings yeah, today. Yeah, you're not wrong. We're not so, shooting each other. Oh, yeah, you're we're just putting each other in the freaking hospital. Yeah. No, also, these any- people have incredible healing powers. <laughs> I mean, I will say this: the, the the there's a golden scene, and I think it's in season one, where the two of the two of them are in the the Trans Am, you know, cruising around, listening to music, and then they stop and have a beer someplace. I'm like, this is, uh, I just want that. I just want yeah. that. Those two characters, oh, so good. Yeah, no, me too. That's how it's that. Those are the episodes I love. Yeah. So moving uh, on, if we could, to Labyrinth. It's funny you had mentioned that Shari like Starry because. The other day, out of the blue, I had a message from the son, the boy, the dear, beloved engineering offspring, and he messages me, and I quote, I just watched Labyrinth. Weird. Very weird. And like the next day, I'm like, wait, hang on a second. The David Bowie is a baby snatcher Labyrinth? He says, yes. Very weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I'm like, look, why do you think it was weird? I mean, Jennifer Connelly is super cute. Let's face it. But maybe that's not enough. He's like, it was on Netflix and it looked weird. So we just put it on and then we couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess he did see the whole thing, which is more than I can say. I haven't seen it in its entirety in a, in a long time, probably since it was in the theaters. But yeah, um, it's like the plate of shrimp thing. Sometimes it's just a plate of shrimp. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. I, I tried to watch it again, oh, like five or six years ago. Okay. And I didn't get very far. But I don't know what it was that just kind of turned me off. It might have just been, you know, sometimes it's just a thing. Sometimes yeah. well, a plate of shrimp is just a plate of shrimp. It's on Netflix but, right now if you want to watch it. And the other thing I will mention is do you remember the host of the first 80s cruise coming as – the Goblin King on Pop Icon Night, the costume. Oh, Dane Butcher. Yeah, Dane. I mean, it was, it was on point. He had the best costumes. Well, yeah, he he did not skimp on that department. Yeah, he had the best costumes, period. Uh, anyway, send us these emails. We love to read them. We love to hear your stories. Uh, the address is podcast at sit80s.com. 
prepare to qualify. Must be time for Stuck in the Arcade. Hey, we'll play a snippet of a video game from the 80s, and hopefully you know it. <laughs> By the judging of the look of this week's list, not too many people did. Uh, <laughs> and you get entered into a... Uh, uh, drawing for a postal-friendly bottle opener. I, 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 I'm laughing because we, we just got a message on the Stuck in 80s Facebook page from someone who <laughs> sent a photo of the package with the, uh, f- that, with the postal-friendly bottle opener, and it was all mauled to hell. It's oh, like, no. Whose was it? I'll have to check. I'll tell, tell you. later. <laughs> oh, no. But did they get it? Was everything in it still? I I, I don't even know. I mean, it's, it looked like it looked like it had been run over by a truck three times and oh, given to no. a rabid dog. Oh. It had to get a letter from the post office apologizing. but That makes Brad very sad. So What makes Brad in L.A. cry? Well, whoever that was, like, I, I sent a couple lately. I'll, just, I'll check in with them, but that's... Yeah, I have, uh, I have the name. I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> no. I try to package it in a way that it's, you know, I know it's not really, it's probably not machine sortable with that big heavy thing in the middle of it, but... I mean, I yeah, I probably should up. put. Did you put something on there that says hand stamp only or something like that? That I might probably sometimes should. That helps. That's a good idea. Um, anyway, pay attention. Here was the uh, clip from the last time we did the seggy. That's Vanguard. Mm. A lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of different guesses. Well, Only a few people got it right. Yeah, the thing about Vanguard is it. It shamelessly stole music from other things, which we'll we'll hear some more about in a minute. I played this a lot post delivering my papers at the whichever the quickie mart was that I like to stop and get a bag of M and M's at on my way home. <laughs> God, I love M and M's still. Anyway, read the winners. Okay, winners this week include Please. Mill. This is how they sign the letter, so this is what I'm reading. Mill. So Mill, good job. Also, East Coast Alex. Colin Hall, Dallas Fitzgerald, Gerald from Boston, Chuck of the Coverleys, Papa Smurth, Brandon Thompson, and Mr. P, who writes, Hey guys, I was a sophomore in college when Star Trek The Next Generation premiered in 1987. When the theme music played during the opening credits, I thought to myself, Wait a minute, I know this song. It took me a few episodes before I realized, That's the music from Vanguard! (laughs) I later learned that Vanguard (laughs) took the music from the 1979 classic okay that's my word not his word star trek the motion picture but for me the best version of the song will always be from one of the greatest arcade games of the 80s testify mr p the other thing i'll mention is the power-up music in vanguard is the fight scene music from flash gordon (laughs) so you know Oh, God. Speaking of Flash Gordon, did you see that we lost another one yesterday? No. Robbie Coltrane passed away at age 72. I mean, it's probably be- he'll always be probably best known f- for playing Hagrid. Hagger. But he was also in Kroll. He was in Flash Gordon. So he's he's been around. He made a lot of movies in the 80s. But, he was um, in Flash the- Gordon? Yep. I mean, I remember him as the Russian arms dealer in uh, Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. He was great in, in uh, Goldeneye. But uh, anyway, uh, anyway, let's spin the wheel. Let's find out who takes home a yet-to-be-determined-how-friendly-it-is bottle opener. Postal hostel bottle opener. <laughs> okay, here we go. Ready? A one and a two and a one, two. Oh, didn't need to spin that much. We only had like six people who got it right. You know, 
It's not going to tick that fast. In, more, in for a diamond for a than, dollar. Yeah, more more effort than it is. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's going to land on uh, Brandon Thompson. Nice. You are this week's lucky wiener. So uh, send us your snail mail address if you dare, and we'll try to get a a postal hostel uh, bottle opener to you sooner than later. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery arcade sound. If you know it, email us at podcast at sid80s.com. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm saying. Did I say that right? It came out just right. I was like staring at the ceiling when I said it. And then tune in a few weeks to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. What strange creatures are lurking in the night? Oh, skull face. Mummy face, too. Oh, ghoul face. What a frightful sight. Yes, Mom, this Halloween, your kids can have fun creating their own scary disguise with kooky spooks makeup. They just smear it on. When the makeup dries, it cracks to make them look really old and ghoulish. Add in the sheet and the costume's complete. Kooky spooks makeup kits. Six frightening disguises to choose from. <laughs> Hey, we've got a few minutes left. Just a reminder that um, the podcast is funded by listener support. It's funny because I actually turned down an ad just this last week. There was a company that was selling some sort of uh, energy supplement, and they wanted to advertise on the show, and they sent me some, and I drank it, and I was just like, ugh. Not only does it taste awful, but I I was actually more sleepy afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) You were not infused with the strength of many men? Yeah, but if – but – but had it, had it been like everything it was promised to be, I would have considered some sort of placement. But I, I, but I feel good in saying no because I, I like the fact that we just are – we use Patreon. So Yeah, I, I, I like the direct connection. Yeah, it's great because we, we, we blog there several times a week. And uh, Brad hosts the, drive-in, the virtual drive-in theater. And uh, we have a monthly Zoom happy hour. And you can join for as little as two dollars a month. And there there are like annual plans where you just pony up however much you want for the year and such. Uh anyway, Kobe Crawford is the latest patron we have. So thank you, Kobe. Look forward to seeing you on the Zoom happy hour and at the drive in. And don't forget the members only podcasts. Oh yeah, members only podcasts. I forgot we haven't done one of those in a while. We need to record one of those post haste yeah. before we forget yes. all our hot topics. Yeah. Hot topics. <laughs> I saw a YouTube video on the other day where someone tries every single flavor of Hot Pocket. Oh, d- my gosh. I know. Where are they hospitalized? I was going to watch it. I, I, I saw it there. I, I don't know what sort of algorithms at work when YouTube suggests videos to me, but sometimes I'm offended. I have eaten Hot Pockets as recently as like maybe last year or something. Just, that's just ponderous, Steve. It's f- ponderous. <laughs> Anyway, we hope you enjoyed the chat with David Weiner. Again, Halloween at midnight is your deadline for supporting it. Go to 80shorrordoc.com. In the meantime, Brad and I remain here, <laughs> hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening.